his stead. Thank you. Morning, y'all. I uh, wanted to give just a quick update in addition to uh, Elizabeth's update. Um, this was our first week of classes. Classes didn't actually start until Thursday. And um, we, uh, so leading up to that, we were doing a lot of what we call welcome week stuff. We were welcoming students to campus. Uh, that started for us, for the High Towers and Elizabeth with a leadership retreat this past weekend where we took some of our leader students, some of our upperclassmen. We went to a cabin up in Mintone near in the Fort Payne area. And we spent the weekend there not only hanging out and everything, but actually casting a vision for a new year of ministry on campus. Um, and part of that was uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. It's, uh, it's some of the thoughts that I had, the ways that uh, God has been working on me as I've been thinking about this new semester of ministry starting up. Uh, so I'll share that some of that with you this morning. Uh, but we got to do some fun things like we did mock one-on-ones. Elizabeth talked about having a one-on-one meeting with uh, with her uh, pastor in RUF, and that's you know we encourage our students to reach out to new freshmen, to grab coffee with them, to grab lunch with them. That can feel like a really intimidating thing, but really it's just asking questions and getting to know each other. And so we paired them off and uh, let them ask questions of one another, and that was a really good exercise for them to not only learn a little bit more about one another, but to actually see. What what it's like to ask questions and that it's not as intimidating as it may initially seem. Because if you think about it, there's not a lot of people who listen to one another. Uh, So it's nice to encounter somebody who's asking you questions and listening to the responses that you give. You know, that's that's a really unique thing. And so another thing we did was we did a mock large group. Our large group is what we call our Tuesday night meeting where we kind of invite everybody to come. And we set up our welcome table. And we had some volunteers to be the new students coming in. And we went over different ways that we could welcome them and thought about our posture even and how we talk in groups and what's a good way to kind of have an initial conversation and some of the things that we do were actually maybe not as welcoming as we we might have intended initially so we did those kinds of things and uh, it was it was a really good weekend together we got to close it out with uh, worship at Grace Presbyterian in Fort Payne and got to see some of our old friends from from when I worked up there. But then we started the, the welcome week of activities. We uh, spent some time getting uh, getting Elizabeth on campus through the administration, which with JSU always seems to take a little bit longer than you think it's going to take because we're running back and forth across campus and everybody's saying, oh, that's not my job, that's his job. And then he's like, oh, that's my, not my job, that's her job. So we end up you know, doing the, the campus shuffle. Um, but we, we had a game night uh, that... That week we had a tabling event where we met a lot of different students. 
um, we we just were able to do all kinds of different things to connect with them, uh, to meet some folks. We actually have a good number of students who are connected to PCA churches that are coming in this year, which is a rare thing. So it's really encouraging to see students who maybe have a little bit more of a theological background than we're used to. Um, but yeah, so this next week we crank up with all of our normal rhythm and activities, our small group start off, our large group start off, and we just kind of start settling into a rhythm. Um, and I, I just want to underscore Elizabeth's introduction that, you know, she can't really do this, but and I don't think she was necessarily selling herself short, but I don't know if y'all got a, a, a good idea of how important she has been just in the couple of weeks that she's been here. Um, just, just even the, the fall retreat or the, the leadership retreat, she jumped in and started like meeting all these students and offering them advice and like, and, and maybe helping them think through ways that they can ask questions of other people and be inviting and everything. Um, that she has been our gopher who just runs around and grabs all the things that we need to set up so we can focus on other aspects of the ministry. She's, she's not been afraid of anything at all this week. She's a pretty fearless person from what I've learned. Um, at one point, she uh, she told me as she was raising money, she went door to door, just knocking on people's doors, asking for money. Now, she said she spent $20 uh, to make flyers, and she made $25, so it wasn't the most efficient, but it shows how fearless she is, and we're really happy to have her, and we know that, um, that God has brought her who ha- she has such a similar story to so many of our students and already she's been able to interact with them so well and to communicate to them so well and really to be able to demonstrate in word and in deed the way that the gospel impacts their lives because their lives, their backgrounds are so similar. So we're really thankful to have her. Um, and uh, just be praying for us as we as we start this new year of ministry. Consider meeting Elizabeth. I mean, this will be her church home for the next two years. Uh, get to know her, and uh, as you get to know her, you'll you'll really enjoy talking to her and everything like that. And before you know it, you're going to be giving her money. You're like, wait, where? Did, how did that happen? You know. Um, so yeah, just uh, just welcome her, and um, and I know that she's already been welcomed by by so many of y'all. Um, our passage this morning is going to be from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. As I said, this was uh, something that I shared with our students. Over the summer, I'll go around and do updates and things like that to supporting churches. And as I've been thinking about a new semester of ministry and how I want to myself and our leaders to think about reaching the campus for Christ, um, reaching students for Christ and equipping them to serve. As I think about us doing that, this has been the passage that that God has laid on my heart. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And so I hope it's, I hope it's beneficial to y'all as well. Um, I'll read the passage, uh, pray for us, and, and then we'll jump in. We're going to talk about the crowds, we're going to talk about the harvest, and we're going to talk about the laborers. So let me read this passage, and I'll pray, and we'll get going. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest, who loves us more than we understand, more than we can even fathom, definitely more than we, can, than we deserve, thank you for the ways that you have had compassion on us. Thank you for the ways that you have taught us and ministered to us already, even this morning. Thank you for the things that happened this past week at JSU, for the students that we've been able to connect with, for the ways that you're already at work in their hearts. Thank you for the witness that RUF has on the JSU campus and for the witness that Faith and Anderson has in Calhoun County. I pray that you would use us, create in us hearts after your own heart. Use us as laborers in your harvest to connect wandering sheep to the Good Shepherd. Be with us in this time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to take a swig of water first. It took us 48 minutes to get out of the parking garage. So, just to back up. A couple of weeks ago, we went to the Georgia Aquarium. They were selling their tickets for 40% off, so it was a great time for us to go. It was In our minds, it was like, this is the last hoorah before the end of the summer. You know, students are getting ready to come back. We're getting ready to start homeschooling and everything. This will be it. This will kind of be the last, the last hurrah. Little did we know, it was also the last hurrah of the summer for everyone else on the planet. <laughs> everyone else on the planet. So we get there. We get our kids up early in the morning. It's two hours to get all the way to Atlanta. There's an hour time change. So we had to get up and kind of hustle out the door. We deal with Atlanta traffic, which we all know what that is like. We get to, we, we eat some food before because, you know, the aquarium food prices are very, very expensive. Um, we eat something before and then we get to the aquarium and we're driving into the parking deck and we realize that about one or two levels of the parking deck are closed off because they're going to have like some special event that night. So we keep on driving up and we get onto the third story of the parking deck and we're looking around and nothing and we keep on doing that in the fourth and the fifth and then the sixth and we're getting closer and closer to the blazing hot Atlanta sun until we finally pull out and we're on the seventh floor of this parking deck which is the top floor which means there's no parking deck above and you're just cooking in the sun and we pull all the way to what looks like one of the last five spaces on the parking deck. We park, we get out, we unload our whole crew of kids and we pull out the stroller and we walk over to the elevator and then we realize that there's this massive crowd of people standing around the elevator and we know it's going to take us 45 minutes to even get in. So, we load up all of our kids and fold up the stroller and we proceed to walk down 
all seven flights of the parking deck to walk across to get on another elevator to get us to the place where we're supposed to go. And they're still selling tickets as we're just trying to push through this, this whole mass of people. And we get inside and there's just people everywhere. You can barely move. You know, you're doing kind of the shuffle step behind people and you're just kind of part of this big crowd that's going around. And we're trying to see the exhibits and people are in the way and people are cutting you off and everything. We're trying to keep our, our family together, but we're getting split up by all these people and everything. We've got a potty training toddler and we take him over to the bathroom and it's just this long line. It's like, oh man, we should get like an express pass or something like we need to we need to be able to get through here. But there was just there were so many people. It was it was too much humanity. You know, when we're leaving, everybody's leaving all at the same time because of this special event. And so we do the whole thing again. We get to the elevator. And we realize there's no way we're getting on this elevator. So we load up our kids, we fold up the stroller, and we walk up the seven stories to get to the top of the, of the parking garage. We climbing to our car, which is approximately 250 degrees Fahrenheit. We sit down, we start it up, we pull out, which takes about five minutes because people aren't letting us out. And we get and we sit in line and we finally pull out of the parking garage. 48 minutes later there was too there were too many people it was too much humanity right we've experienced the same thing this week in Jacksonville with thousands of students moving back into town i've heard students, stories about cars being double and triple parked on the road as students are trying to move all their stuff into their dorms. Walmart is completely desolate. Everything has been picked over. Um, there's, there's traffic everywhere. We've got one road in Jacksonville and there's always traffic on it. There's line, lines that are long. Uh, You've got to wait at restaurants. I mean, it's, there's, there's just too much humanity. There are too many people. So how do you feel when you encounter crowds? I mean, we're all small town people, right? There's a reason why we don't live in Birmingham or Atlanta or Nashville or all these places. We want to we be in smaller places, right? Maybe, though, you, you like the idea of crowds. I think a lot of us like the idea of crowds. Like, man... Did you see how many people were at church on Sunday? It was just a whole crowd of people, right? Or did you see how many people came to large group on Tuesday night? Or did you see how many people were at the football game? Like, we like the idea of crowds. It's the reality of crowds that, that drives us crazy. Because we actually get there and we're interacting with these people and they're just driving us crazy. And they, they're, just, they're just in the way and we're trying to get stuff done. It's too much humanity, right? Matthew 9.35 is a summary statement of Jesus' ministry up to this point. 
It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It echoes uh, Matthew 4, 23-25, which opens this section. And then you've got the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom. And, and that's Matthew 5-7. through And then you have 8 and 9, which is Jesus actually doing that, performing miracles, healing people, casting out demons. And then 935 summarizes all that. Jesus is going around. He's teaching in all these cities and all these villages. He's healing diseases. He's, He's casting out demons. He's doing all these things. It's no surprise that a powerful, dynamic ministry like this is going to draw crowds. Crowds and crowds of people. But who are the people that are coming to this? People who are in need of good news. People who have afflictions that need to be healed. People who are demon-possessed. I've met some pretty awful students in my time at Jacksonville State. I don't think I've met any demon-possessed students. That would be, that would be a whole different level, right? But these are the people that are coming to Jesus, the worst of the worst of humanity. And what is Jesus' reaction to the crowds? 9.36 says, He saw the crowds of these needy people, and He had compassion on them. And now you might be familiar with this word, compassion. It's like a deep, down, gut longing for healing and, and, and love and connection. Like that is what Jesus feels deep in his gut. It's a little bit different than what I feel when I encounter crowds. But that's what Jesus feels. He looks not, he doesn't think about the idea of the crowds like, oh man, I want to, I'm going to have a lot of people in my ministry. He looks out and he sees the reality of the crowds, the needy people, and he has compassion on them. Why does he have compassion on them? He has compassion on them for two reasons. Because, not in spite of, you know, Jesus had compassion on them in spite of the fact that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. No, it says, because of the fact. Exactly because they were needy, that's why he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them because they were harassed. That word, I really like that word. I was looking it up and it was like, it, it literally means to be skinned alive. Yeah, I know, right? And that's, that's how I feel when I'm in those crowds, right? It's like, oh, you are peeling my skin off like slowly while I'm alive. This is driving me crazy, right? I feel harassed. I feel vexed. I feel annoyed. I feel troubled. But Jesus looks at them and not as like, oh, y'all are bothering me. He looks at them and he sees that they are being bothered, that they are victims. He looks around at people and sees that they are victims, that they are suffering, that they are struggling, that they are being skinned alive by the cares and the worries and the troubles and the sin and the affliction that's in the world. And he sees them as harassed. And then he sees them as helpless. I really don't know why this word is translated as helpless in our, in our, in our Bibles. It's, it really m- means more like scattered, you know, outcast, right? 
that, that they're harassed and outcast. Oh, a picture of this is, is uh, elsewhere in, in the Bible is that um, uh, it's an anchor being thrown over off the side of a ship in the midst of a storm. That they're just scattered around, that they're thrown around, that they're outcast. They're, they're kind of refuse, refuse a little bit, right? Jesus looks at these, this crowd and he sees them as harassed and outcast, like sheep without a shepherd. That they're lost, they're wandering around. You know how it feels to get behind a slow walker, right? You like walk up behind them in the hall and somehow they find the perfect speed to slow you down. But then they kind of move in such a way that you can't really get around them, right? And it just drives you crazy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then it's you. You need to like hug the right side of the wall and like let us go around you and everything. But, but they're wandering around. They're lost, you know. They don't know which way to go. They don't know which way is up. They are, they are hurting themselves. They are hurting others. Think about the college campus, right? Thousands of students showing up. Crowds of students showing up. And they're, they're 18 years old. They're children. One, one of the times where we really realize this, you know, they look like adults, but they're actually kids. We have them over to our house and we, we bought them like Cokes and Dr. Peppers and Sprites. What do we see everybody walking around with? Little Capri Sun juice pouches that we bought for our kids. <laughs> we're like, wait a second, y'all are children, right? They don't, they're on their own, but they're kids. They don't know what to do. They're lost. They're wandering around. And, and think of all the pain, the sin, and the hurt that's on a college campus, right? You've got people who are numbing their pain and their loneliness with Netflix and video games and darker stuff that they find on the internet, right? You've got people who are, uh, who are overwhelmed with depression and anxiety. I know I've talked about that before, but that is such a big issue for Gen Z and the students that are on campus. You've got people who are sinning against their bodies and the bodies of others to get some kind of love to feel some kind of connection. You've got students who are using drugs and alcohol to find some kind of peace and freedom from anxiety. You've got people who are showing up, who are seeking some kind of affirmation, achievement in their academic work or in their social status or something like that. Those are the things that are going on on a college campus. And so for a lot of us, we look at it and we're like, woof, that's too much for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to send my kids there. I'm anxious when I do send my kids there, right? Think about, think about Calhoun County. Think about Anniston. All of the need. All of the struggles. All the darkness that's there. I mean, Rick and Grant are hanging out with police officers. They see the worst of the worst. And those things are happening here, you know? There's a lot of need. There's a lot of humanity. I reminded our students, I was like, hey, there are people who are coming to campus now who are at the beginning of what will be rock bottom, bottom for them. That they are showing up to campus and one day in reflecting back on this, on this time, they're going to say, that first semester, that first year, maybe my entire college experience was the darkest time of my life. I felt alone. 
I felt depressed. I was struggling with doubts and not knowing what I believed. Nobody was there to help me, right? Like There are literally students who are showing up who that is going to be their story. And Jesus looks at them. He looks at the crowds. And he has compassion on them. Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, what, what's really surprising about this, even maybe at some level even more so than his compassion, is Jesus' optimism about this situation. How does Jesus view this? In verse 37 it says, He says to his disciples, College is a really dark place. Anderson's a really dark place. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of a- agony. This, it's just sort of hopeless. And let's just create a group where we can get together so that we don't have to deal with the hopelessness that's out there. He doesn't say that at all, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say there's so many problems out there. He says the harvest is plentiful. He looks out at these crowds, these masses of humanity, and he says, look at all the opportunity that there is here. Look at this harvest. It's it's not a matter of us going out and tilling the soil and planting the seeds and having to work it and make sure we keep all the pests and everything like that away. It's done. The work is done. It's harvest time. Right? He says there's an abundance of... Of harvest. Jesus looks out and he sees the need. He sees the affliction. He sees all the struggles and he says, Look at all of the opportunities for my gospel to go out and shine forth. He looks at all the wandering sheep and he says, Look at all the people that I can gather to myself as the good shepherd. All of the people that I can love and care for. All of the people that I can make my own. Once again, that's not how I view the the crowds. I'm having to shift to remind myself when students are showing up to campus. And the roads are getting clogged and the lines are getting long. And I'm I'm having the same conversation with 18 year olds that I've had for the past six years. That the harvest is plentiful. God is at work. So much of the time when I sit down with a student, I am, I mean, 100% of the time, I'm not the first person to have a conversation with them about spiritual things. Their parents have been pouring into them. Their church family has been pouring into them. Maybe a youth pastor from the past. It is, there is no time when I've sat down with a student, we've had a conversation, that I'm the only person who's ever talked to him about, about spiritual things. I'm one in a long line of people that there's already a harvest. Any fruit that I see from my ministry doesn't come from me. It comes from people before who've already been at work that God has been working through for years, years before me. And I always tell people my job is easy. All I have to do is show up on campus and meet the, God that God, meet the people that God has planned for me to meet. He's already done the work. I just show up. You know, the harvest is plentiful. There's so much need out there, and we have good news. There are people who want to hear good news, and we got it. Easy. Let's just connect, right? 
That's it. Now, obviously, ministry is hard. And reaching out to hurting people is hard. We don't have to look any further than Jesus to see that, right? But we have what they need. We have the gospel, you know? So, there's so much harvest, in fact, that Jesus says, there's not enough people to do all of this. We don't have enough people. There's too much harvest. It's... (laughs) Y'all know the infamous scene of, of uh, the I Love Lucy episode where the conveyor belt is going down and she's trying to stuff all of the you know, stuff in, in her mouth and then in, the, in her clothes and everything. That's what Jesus says it is. We need more people working the assembly line. We don't have enough folks. That, that, that's what Jesus says here. Therefore, because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. And that, that word for pray is like a, a longing, a begging, an imploring, a beseeching of God to send people out to the harvest. And you know what? That is a prayer that God loves to answer. He's excited to answer that prayer. Why? Because he looks out of the crowds and he has compassion on them. Isn't it great that Jesus says, Hey, look at all this need out here, and I've got the good news, and I'm the shepherd who's going to gather these sheep. Pray to me that I will do that. You know? He's like, I already want to do it. Our our job is so easy in so many ways. Pray for me that I will provide, and I guarantee that I'm going to provide for you. Right? It's almost like the prayer is less about us convincing Jesus to do something and more about changing our hearts. You know? Think, think about this. I, I propose this. This felt a little bit dangerous to say as a Presbyterian. Presbyterians don't talk like this. But I said, what if, to my, to my student leaders, what if you are the answer, God's answer, to somebody else's prayer? Think about all the 18-year-olds that people are sending to campus. How many parents, grandparents... Church families, teachers, friends, all of these people have prayed, anxious, implored God. I I mean, our oldest is 10. It's still eight years away from college. I'm already worried about sending her off to college. I already can't wrap my brain around it. I'm already nervous. People have been praying for years that, God, I, I, I want these things that I've instilled in my kid to stick. I don't want them to show up on campus and to be alone and not have any friends. I don't want them to struggle. I don't want them to feel harassed and outcast. People have been praying for years for these students that they're sending out. And one day that student who is going to describe college as a dark part of their life Who's going to say, I got to college and I didn't know anybody and it was really hard and I had all these struggles and doubt, like, doubts like Elizabeth talked about. Nobody would answer my questions and I wrestled with things and I almost left my faith. But then I met, fill in the blank, your name and everything was different. I connected with that person They connected me with the community of RUF. They connected me with Faith Presbyterian Church. And those communities connected me to Jesus. 
that you... That's what it says. Pray for laborers to go into the harvest. Guess what our calling is? We are laborers in the harvest. You're the answer to somebody's prayer. That God in His grace and His mercy, not because of our goodness, but because of His love for us, has raised us up as laborers to go out into the harvest. Once again, God doesn't do this because He needs us. Right? God doesn't do it because He's like wringing His hands and Jesus is like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus doesn't need a Savior. He is the Savior. Right? He does it because He wants us to experience, as laborers, more and more of His gospel goodness. More and more of His compassion as a shepherd. He wants us to share more deeply in the gospel. And because of that, He invites us to be laborers. So, we've got crowds. Jesus has compassion on them. He looks around and he sees a harvest. He says, pray for laborers. And he has raised us as members of his church to go out into that harvest and to take the good news of the kingdom to these people who are struggling. The only problem is, I don't have that heart. I don't have the heart that Jesus has. I don't have the compassion that Jesus has. We talked about that at the beginning. They drive me crazy, you know, all these crowds. And it's so funny, I didn't, I didn't think about this until afterwards. I'm at, at the Georgia Aquarium, I'm like, oh, why are all these people here? They're getting in my way. They're... And then I realized, I'm one of the people here, right? <laughs> it's not like I had a day planned and everybody else showed up. We all had the same bright idea to show up at the same time. And we're all getting in each other's way. And I was taking up a, spot, a parking spot just like everybody else. So as we remember, as we feel maybe overwhelmed that we're laborers, right? And we're in good company if we feel that way because the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about his apostleship, throws up his hands in 2 Corinthians and says, Who is sufficient for these things? I can't do this. This is too much. So when we feel overwhelmed, remember, you're still a sheep, You're still a sheep who is harassed and outcast and wandering around and not knowing what to do and being a slow walker and taking up a parking spot, you know, that you are in great need and Jesus looks at you and has compassion on you and loves you and longs for you so much so... That he was not just willing to be annoyed by us, right? To be pestered by us, right? Um, it's, it's really interesting. That word harassed, when it says that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The other times that occurs in the Gospels are all talking about Jesus. And it's all people saying, don't bother the teacher. Don't harass him. Don't skin him alive. You know, don't just drive him crazy. And every, Jesus' response to every one of those people is to meet them in their need. Right? Jesus shows up not only to be harassed, but he does show up to be annoyed and bothered by our questions. Right? But he doesn't because he has compassion on us. 
that he enters into the crowd, into the throng of people, into the too much humanity for our benefit. That he could have stayed disconnected from us in heaven. He enters in for us in the midst of our struggle and our turmoil and everything. And he enters in to the point. He loves the crowd so much that he's willing to stand there and do nothing when they turn on him and they shout, crucify him. That Jesus stands there and he listens to it. He goes to the cross to save the crowds. He goes to the cross as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the wandering sheep. To gather them into one flock so he can love them and care for them, right? So that he can heal them and proclaim his gospel goodness. And that's what he invites us to do. Not to point to ourselves and to build up our church or build up our ministry, but to point to Jesus and say, he's the good shepherd. I was a wandering sheep like you. And he is the good shepherd who has connected me to his goodness and invited me in to gospel labor. So let's pray for hearts like that. And when we don't have hearts like that, which is often, let's be reminded of Jesus' heart for us. And we'll see that that will transform our heart as we pray to him. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you looked at the world and you loved the world. That you do love the world and you love the world so much that you're willing to send your precious only son into the world to die for us. To hold him up as the snake in the wilderness. So as we look at him, we find salvation. That we find a home. That we find healing. Father, it's overwhelming to think that we are, have the responsibility to be laborers in the harvest. But let us never forget that we're sheep. That we are loved by you. And as we grow and deepen in that understanding, it'll make it hard to hold back this message of gospel goodness from other people who are hurting and in need, just like we are and were. Transform our hearts, make them more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.
Thank you, Daniel, for bringing us the word, encouraging us, and I, I just—it really struck home for me. I remember being a freshman at Alabama. Roll Tide. Anyway, I remember being—I <laughs> remember being a freshman. Um, it was a real dark. My first semester was very dark. There was a, t- a time of rebellion and disconnect. Though I grew up in the church, and I remember and kind of just. Going, I knew RUF existed. I went, but that wasn't the thing. What happened was what, what really turned it around for me as I looked, seeing God at work, is that a junior, a leader, somebody on the ministry team with RUF, on a Tuesday in the Ferguson Center, came up to a freshman sitting by himself, eating his lunch, said, you could join us. There was a bunch of juniors and seniors that were part of RUF. And they invited me. And I met and I sat with them that whole semester. That was, for me, that was the beginning of my journey to, you know, being drawn back into the church, into the Lord. And it was being invited to a meal. It was that simple. Jamie came to my installation service. <laughs> we're still the best of friends and I like some 10 years later I mentioned do you remember that he's like dude I have no memory of that <laughs> he did not know that he was so instrumental he was just doing what the campus minister said if you see one of the freshmen alone just invite them to eat he said I was just doing what I was told <laughs> you know and and there and that was that was huge so I mean Man, thank you. That just brought all that back to me. And uh, that's, that's what we do here. You know, with Jesus, we hear the gospel proclaimed. We hear his compassion for us and for the crowds and all those around. And then he says, I want you to come to a meal. I want you to come sit with me. And you have a place at the table. You're part of, the, of, my, of my people, my family. And um, we struggle every week to remember that. So Christian, uh, just like just like Jamie did for me, that was a very tangible thing. Jesus says, "Come and partake. Come be a part." Um, and then we, you know, as, as we take this meal, I want you to just feel that comfort and joy of being part of God's one of His children, recipients of the promise, of the recipient of His steadfast love, and then go out and invite people to come dine. And be with you and be with Jesus. It's, 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 that's, it's that simple in a lot of ways. Um, if you are not sure where you stand with Christ, if you're still sorting out, again, it's good to ask questions, as Elizabeth said. Come ask us questions. We want you to know this Savior who has such compassion and is so, such deep love for sinners like, like us. But if you don't know where you stand with him, don't, don't partake of this meal. But if you're a member in good standing at a gospel-preaching, gospel-believing church, and you have joined and come before the leaders there to, to be approved to partake, come and t- partake, come and dine, come be uh, reminded of what Christ has done for you and that you are secure in his love. So, with that said, those who are sitting in this back section, go to that table. Behind this wall, go to that table. And those sitting here will come forward and partake. So let's partake of Christ by faith.